Welcome to the Drill Down. We've got business stories behind stocks on the move. I'm Corey Johnson with episode number 187. Well, just ahead, we're at the JP Morgan Healthcare Conference in San Francisco looking at healthcare companies, not least of which Walgreens, painting a vision of the future. And another company with a potential life saving technology for undiagnosed irregular heartbeats. And then we're going to make a big turn. Yes, a turn because we're talking about tires, giant tires. And agricultural tire maker Titan International, the stock is at more than 50% in the last year. We'll get to them and the CEO, Paul Reitz. But first, it's sponsor time. The Drill Down is brought to you by ERA. Never miss another critical event or insight ever. With ERA, customize your company watch lists and track key events, mentions, filings, and more, all within an easy-to-use, customizable interface. That's ERA, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And you can listen to the drill on any of your favorite podcast platforms, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, Stitcher, iHeart, TuneIn, you name it. But if you hit the subscribe button, you'll make sure to catch every show. And the drill down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com. That's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com to learn more. I'm Corey Johnson. Welcome to The Drill Down. We explain the business stories behind stocks and the move and helping me do that. As always, executive producer Isaac Webster. Isaac, how are you? Corey, I'm great. I'm excited to talk a little bit about healthcare today. JP Morgan happening yeah, in your uh, neck the of the woods. Morgan healthcare conference is in San Francisco for the first time in three years. Um, it is a gigantic financial conference or over 8,000 people have come to San Francisco. Hotel rooms are a thousand bucks. The streets are crowded. The hotel lobbies are packed with dudes in suits and open collars. Are hotel and, rooms know, always a thousand dollars in San Francisco? Well, if you want them to be, but no, <laughs> it's a, it's, it's a, it's a nutty time. I'm talking about like the Holiday Inn Express and the Marina is, you know, expensive now. Um, but uh, it's, it's nice to see the city so alive and to see all these investors and uh, uh, healthcare companies of all so, uh, shapes and sizes um, represented at this conference. You know, these conferences, Isaac, you've been to a, a few of these, uh, mm-hmm. maybe a lot of them, I've certainly been to a ton, where the companies really get a chance to interface with investors, tell their story, try to convince them to buy the stock, um, and explain kind of what's going on with their business from a, a 30,000 foot view, but also really right down to the, the details. And and sure, surely some of them try to hide it. One company I'm not going to talk about in the show, specifically because I'm short the stock, but it's the, the BS that goes on. This company in particular sells a health benefits to high-tech companies. And they were trying to make the case that they didn't have a lot of high-tech clients. And only when they were pressed and afterwards did they admit that they did not consider Amazon a tech client or Google a tech client because it's a shipper and a media company, according to them. But we're not going to so talk about whatever jinx. company it is you're referencing. But lot, I don't want to tout my own in lousy investments. Uh, but in any case, uh, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a good time to get in front of a lot of these companies and see what's going on. And uh, we're going to hear from a few of them today. And now, who are we going to start with? Who are you drilling down on? Well, let's go with a big one. Well, no, 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 let's, go, let's go with health equity. Health equity. Health equity trades under HQY, and shares have dropped 10% over the past month and have gained 11% in a year, though, currently trading around 56 bucks a share with a 52-week high of $79 a share. So it's a very interesting company, Health Equity. They help... Um, companies administer uh, and, and indeed clients uh, register, people register for um, healthcare savings accounts. Um, healthcare savings accounts are um, very popular. About 31 million uh, Americans have health savings accounts uh, and they've got a lot of money in them, about $93 billion. But 
it's interesting, in the last year, for the first time since these health saving accounts came around, you saw balances really decline across the industry. And yet for health equity, um, they've been doing very well. And uh, their, their assets are not um, declining uh, as much as the industry has. And indeed, they've been growing fast through this. And I thought it was interesting to listen to CEO John Kessler talk about what it looks like signing up uh, uh, customers uh, when, you know, maybe we're looking at a recession, maybe we're looking at business slowing down, hiring slowing down, certainly in technology, lots of layoffs. Uh, and yet these guys uh, are, are seem to be managing quite well into this. Here's CEO John Kessler. You know, we're all looking at recession and so forth, really amped up what they were doing on education. And we were able to deliver that in a scalable way. Again, a major contributor during open enrollment to our performance in Q4 in particular. And then lastly, here, um, we've been able to continue to engage with our, mem our members on an ongoing basis to deliver value. You know, this has been a tough year for HSA balances. Industry-wide reporting balance declines for the first year ever, right? Average balance declines. Well, why? Because in the context of inflation, you get lower savings rates, you get lower savings rates, you get lower balances. We were actually able to grow our balances based on our last quarterly reporting uh, over the course of this year. And we're really proud of that, to be able to do that within a highly inflationary environment, to keep people focused on saving and saving for the long term. And that's notwithstanding the fact that a third of our invested HSA of our HSA assets are invested in. You all know what the markets did this year. Okay. So that's why we were successful this last year. So certainly a market story as it relates to the performance of those assets. But lots of people are taking advantage of these health uh, um, equity plans, um, these HSA accounts. And, um, uh, you know, what, what's, what's sure about the world? Death and taxes and getting sick sometime in between. How does their performance um, compare to what they were doing before the pandemic? The, well, we'll see. I mean, you know, uh, they've, they've done pretty well through it, but employment was doing very well through it. So the last couple of years were really good for health equity. Mm -hmm. But, uh, you know, we'll see how they perform. Certainly it was a bullish picture painted by the company at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference this week. Corey, what is your next drill down? Let's go for a big one. Let's look at Walgreens Boots Alliance. Uh, Walgreens Boots Alliance trades under WBA and shares have dropped 9% in a month and dropped 31% in a year. When I think about Walgreens at this point, I think about the experience of drugstores in San Francisco, which have been sort of this, the, a, a crucial um, uh, trouble spot with the, with the homelessness epidemic going on in San Francisco. Um, but uh, the, the vision of Walgreens is much greater than that of just urban drugstores. Uh, and we got, a, we got an image of that from CEO Roz Brewer at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference this week, where she really uh, talked about some real-world examples of how all of the other businesses that Walgreens Boots Alliance has been acquiring might work in the drugstore as just a part of that. Um, and uh, she gives a, uh, an interesting real-life example of how their integrated strategy might work with a story, uh, as told by CEO Roz Brewer, of a woman named Flora. So now, just to give you a an, uh, real clear illustration of how our integrated strategy can come to life, let me take you on a little journey of a woman named Flora. So Flora, she's a 71-year-old Medicare Advantage enrollee. She has multiple chronic conditions, including type 2 diabetes, high cholesterol, arthritis, and depression. 
and values our existing provider relationships given her complex conditions, but has experienced poor care coordination in the past. Now, many of us in this room can probably think about someone in our family that's probably facing a few of these things. But as part of a payer partnership, a Walgreens health advisor from Flora's local pharmacy contacts her to discuss additional benefits now available through her plan, including an annual wellness visit, which can be completed in the convenience of her home. The visit is conducted by a licensed village medical at-home practitioner who spends time to listen to Flora, collect her health history, and get biometrics in labs. The practitioner then works with Flora and her caregiver to create a personalized plan outlining health goals and recommended next steps. Following this initial visit, a Walgreens health advisor is assigned to essentially serve as a quarterback of Flora's care. The health advisor reviews Flora's care plan and listens to understand Flora's motivations, barriers, and support system she can lean on. The health advisor also helps Flora coordinate recommended screening opportunities and appointments, along with her provider visits. Despite her best efforts to follow the care plan, unforeseen adverse events can always happen. Let's say Flora ends up in the emergency room with COVID. She is diagnosed with acute bacterial pneumonia and admitted to the hospital for fluids, IV antibiotics, and close monitoring. Following her three-day hospital stay, Flora is discharged from the hospital to her home. Prior to discharge, a care-centrics nurse reaches out to walk her through her discharge instructions and her care plan, and to help coordinate any additional post-acute needs, including follow-up appointments, prescriptions, and special equipment. The care-centrics nurse also provides ongoing support to keep Flora healthy and avoid being readmitted. During a routine visit to her Walgreens pharmacy the following month, Flora meets with her health advisor, who understands her situation, answers questions, provides the support to ensure Flora is staying on her health journey. This includes network alternatives for any specialist care that is needed. As you can see, Flora is a dedicated care team. She has a dedicated care team that knows her, is accessible, and understands and supports her needs every step of her health journey. This is how our integrated portfolio can improve outcomes, reduce costs, and improve the consumer experience and the engagement. Real life example. So I don't know, maybe there's some kind of pie in the sky. Wouldn't it be wonderful if things worked like that? But it's interesting to hear that vision for this company that is so much more than just the retail drugstore experience. Corey, what's your next drill down? Let's look at a San Francisco company called iRhythm Technologies, another company presenting at the J.P. Morgan Healthcare Conference this week. iRhythm trades under IRTC and uh, shares have risen over 4% in a month, but currently trading at 105 below its 52-week high of 169. So this stock has been it's very steadily in decline. It was trading at about 170 last April. Um, it got down to uh, the high 80s just a week ago, but it's it's had a big move. It had about a 25% move in the last week. And uh, it's because they're, they look like all systems are go to launch a new business that is serious as a heart attack because indeed it's an ambulatory electrocardiogram uh, uh, that uh, helps people monitor their, their, uh, their hearts for arrhythmia, which is a big problem, obviously. And this is a, a wireless patch-based biosensor uh, called Zio that they are launching. They say it's going to be the biggest launch ever 
for this company, a company that does about 300 million in revenues, call it a little bit better than that. Um, and it's, you know, when you talk about healthcare, there is no, arguably, no greater risk than heart disease. Heart disease is the leading cause of death for, uh, in the U.S. Uh, someone dies of a heart attack every 34 seconds. And a lot of these people uh, don't know that they have uh, heart problems. And the idea here is this is a way for people to get both uh, after a diagnosis to quickly monitor what's going on with their heart and their arrhythmias so they can get help when they need it. Uh, and, uh, you know, part of the problem, though, for this company is not – you know, once someone dies of a heart attack, it's too late to help them. Obviously, they really need to get people diagnosed. And that's the real trick for this company to have this, this, uh, these dangerous arrhythmias diagnosed early, or so says CEO Quentin Blackford. There's a significant prevalence of patients who have no idea that they have these dangerous arrhythmias, that they exist at all. They're asymptomatic. They're undiagnosed. I'll talk more about what we're doing to opening up opportunities to begin to monitor that population but you can see from the numbers, the addressable market is well beyond how we think about those devices or those tests that are being prescribed each and every day today in the U.S. And then we think about opportunities beyond that. Similar to what's in the U.S., I believe the, uh, the opportunity exists internationally. We're just scratching the surface with that opportunity. We do a bit of business in the U.K. We're focused on building that out. We've got a roadmap in place that would open up an opportunity for another 5 million ACM tests that are being prescribed today, the majority of which is halter monitors in these international locations that we think can be disrupted just like what we're doing in the States here. And then moving beyond arrhythmias, there's a tremendous amount of overlap with sleep disease and cardiac arrhythmias. I'll talk more about what we're doing to enter into that space, but nearly 40 million people diagnosed in the U.S. alone with sleep apnea, I think there's a significant prevalence of arrhythmias, dangerous arrhythmias that we can find in that population. Heart failure is no difference. That the greatest opportunity to impact heart failure is to monitor and prolong the progression of that disease. We can do that with our device. And similar, the overlap of hypertension and arrhythmias is meaningful and we have teams dedicated to exploring ways to open up that market. More than 160 million people diagnosed with hypertension that we think open up a really interesting opportunity for us. Of course, being able to do that requires an innovation focus. And one of the things we've been really focused on in the organization is really transforming our way of thinking to be much more innovative and sort of increasing the cadence of innovation with products into the marketplace. So a big part of this conference for a lot of these companies is trying to convince investors that their total addressable markets are bigger than uh, they, can, they can actually see. Um, and that certainly is part of the deal with arrhythmia, but it's, it's, it's obviously a problem, that, uh, a health problem that all of us encounter at some point. Uh, on a personal level, I would love it if this product takes off because, you know, my we have all kinds of heart disease on both sides of my family. And my father just um, had this arrhythmia problem over the holidays. And he's oh, really? had it for years. Sorry, yeah. um, but it's one of those things where, again, you do need to get diagnosed right away. You, you need to take it seriously because it can creep up. He hadn't been taking it seriously over the past six months. And lo and behold... It rears his ugly head. Um, thankfully, he had some good doctors to bounce, help him bounce back. But, you know, with a product like this, what they're describing, I mean, this, you know, there's a market out there for sure. People in need. Certainly. All right, let's make a big turn here. I already used that line. I shouldn't use it again. But this company is so cool. And yes, unlike most of our portfolios, this stock is a 50% in the last year. Titan International makes tires, big tires, ginormous tires uh, for the agricultural industry Titan primarily. Tires. CEO 
Sorry? Titan tires. Titan tires. They also make Goodyear tires. Goodyear Ag tires are actually made by this company, Titan International. Their CEO, Paul Reitz, joins us right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Braintrust, a global talent network that matches highly skilled technical freelancers with the world's most reputable brands. Braintrust has helped clients like Bank of America, Goldman Sachs, Porsche, Under Armour, and more build agile tech teams fast at a fraction of the cost. Visit Braintrust.com, that's B-R-A-I-N-T-R-U-S-T.com, to learn more. Welcome back to the Drill Down Podcast. We're joined right now by the CEO of Titan International. Paul Reitz joins us. Uh, Paul, glad to have you. Um, Titan is, uh, is I mean, you couldn't get more of a classic kind of industrial company because you guys make, um, I think what's known t- technically in the industry is a big-ass tire. Yes. I mean, you guys you guys make tires for off-road um, uh, mining, farming, construction, uh, and lots of them. Correct. That's a good way to put it. We, uh, we, we do things that get off-road dirty and we tend to make them big as well. So we have a tire that gets all the way up to 11,000 pounds in size, but generally speaking, the equipment that our tires go on are going to be heavy duty off-road equipment in those sectors that you just, you just listed off. So it seems to me that um, uh, there's lots of ways to look at the company and I want to look at it really from the inside. The the macro things are um, obviously loom large uh, for your company in terms of international trade, the tariffs that we had in the previous administration that have mostly been unwound, uh, or a lot of them have been unwound, uh, commodity pricing, those are all things that affect your business hugely. But maybe, you know, your business is over 100 years old. How does it work? Yeah, I mean, what you just said is definitely true. I mean, I feel like our team wakes up every single day and there's so many things coming at us as a global business that that interacts in in so many different parts of, 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 of what makes up a global business, meaning our, our, our supply chains are complicated with our customers, our raw material supply chains are complicated, how we distribute products. And so, and they're heavy industrial products as well. So I, I definitely agree with what you, what you said about the challenges of today's world, but really what, what makes us a successful company is that the world is challenging. And that's really where our, our foothold started. Uh, if you look at what we do, it's generally speaking gonna be smaller production runs uh, with a lot of SKUs. So whenever you see, for example, whenever you see a piece of ag equipment out in the field, every single wheel that you see, not just by the color or the brand or the equipment, but also by the particular line within that brand is going to be a wheel that requires customized tooling to fit on the hub and the axle of that equipment. So not only a large demanding equipment, but it requires very specialized tooling in order to be able to, to meet the needs and the requirements of the specs of, the, of that product. And so you look at how Titan came about back in 1983, it was, it was businesses that quite frankly, didn't quite fit in with the large tire wheel undercarriage type companies, because when you're running passenger consumer related products, you can set up a plant and you can just run. You can go all day long. You can run days at a time running exactly the same products. That's not all who we are. Our, our plants on any typical day will have to run anywhere from 50 to a couple hundred different different SKUs. That's interesting. It, does that create a greater barrier to entry of, to competitors because you can shift, because they can't sort of say, hey, there's a 18-inch wheel, and everybody can make an 18-inch wheel, and uh, or an 18-inch tire, and there anybody for anybody can come into the business and compete. Yeah, no, that's exactly right. Now that's how we really came about. That's how we've been able to succeed. Is that 
our business doesn't fit in with a, a large global tire wheel company directly because again, our the nature of our products are different and unique. It doesn't really work for vertical integration either. Uh, so some of our plants uh, have all have, have been spun off from larger companies uh, because the product line, the, the industries we serve doesn't fit with the passenger consumer on road type model. And then also some of our plants have come from spinoffs of vertical integration where the OEMs tried to get into the business of making their own wheels and, and weren't able to be successful at it. So we've created this niche world that we operate in. Uh, quite frankly, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's fascinating. It's challenging. I, I think it, it, it helps us energize our workforce when you can say you do something different than others. And uh, it's been, it's been, a, it's been a while. It's been a wild ride. That's for sure. I've seen some of the tires that you guys, at least in your investor presentations, uh, not, not in the uh, farms here in, in California or all the places I've been this year, but I've seen some of the tires that look like, um, they look like mon- not even monster trucks. They look like these silly things you can see in like, an animated movie or something with these giant, giant, very wide tires that almost look like bubbles for ag that have this technological component to them. They're just fascinating that you guys say they have less impact on compacting the soil because the tire is just gigantic. Can you give me a sense of the size of what I'm talking about? Yeah, no, we, we've, we've taken the, our core, which is, is in wheels and tires in agriculture. We said, what can we do that makes equipment perform better? And so we looked on road. And if you look at a pickup truck from 20 years ago, you'll see a very small hub wheel, and then you'll see a large sidewall. What that that means is you got a lot of air in that tire. And so that tire, when it goes down the road, if you remember the way trucks used to operate, you would go bouncing down the road. And and if we had, unfortunately, I have an old F-150 that does exactly that. But yes, exactly exactly what you're talking about. No fun on the highway. And so if, if that was the model that existed, SUVs, the popularity of SUVs, the performance of SUVs wouldn't be the same. And so what, what we did is we really went to the marketplace and said, if we take that sidewall of that tire and we shrink it, so we got a low sidewall um, and we make the wheel bigger, we're going to ex- and then expand the tire out wider. Like you just said, we have tires that are, are four feet wide. We can take a, a large piece of equipment. When I say large, we're talking a 600 horsepower uh, tractor that goes through some of the toughest conditions you can imagine. It's going to be wet. It's going to be side hills. It's going to be all kinds of different terrain. But what you're really dealing with is the farmer's soil, which is going to be the most important asset that he has in his entire family because he's going to pass that on from generation to generation. And so when we take that sidewall and we shrink it, um, we're going to get the equipment to perform better but we're also going to be able to protect that that soil because we're going to be able to run that tire at a lower PSI. So it's got a wider footprint, greater traction. The the tire will perform with more comfort for the for the rider, but perhaps most and it's going to save him fuel, but perhaps most importantly it's going to protect the soil. So that soil compaction is going to be minimized because of this LSW. So just imagine you have uh, again a 600 horsepower tractor running on a, a tire where you can run the PSI as low as 15. I mean, it, it also looks cool as heck. I got to think that's got to help when a farmer walks up there and looks at the, the or imagines the other farmers down the road seeing what he's driving. It is definitely cool. And, and that's that's actually been one of the funnest things that we've seen really take off in the last few years is is all the, the benefits it brings to the end user. But at, at, when you go to a farm show, 
our booth is, is one of the coolest places to be. And we, we bring in social media stars. We bring in large equipment that, that uh, is very well known as, as far as their use of, of 1400 LSWs, which is again, that tire that's four or five feet wide. Um, there's a, there's a tractor that's a 900 horsepower tractor custom made that uses eight of those tires on the, on the tractor. And so we'll bring that into our booth and you would not believe the hundreds, if not thousands of people that will, that will go through the course of our, our booth in the course of a day. So, um, you're exactly right. The LSW has been something that's pretty cool. Not only does it, uh, again, make the perform equipment perform better, but it's, it's a lot of fun just promoting it. So if that's the case, why aren't farmers buying farm equipment? Because you've seen, and you guys have talked about this, this uh, extension in the time that farmers keep equipment um, at, are at some really kind of record levels. We see that in in, in cars and, and, in, and in light trucks right now as well, um, because they just last longer on the road. But you guys have seen it as a, as a, as a temporary phenomenon, and I wonder why that is the case. Well, you're going to see... You're going to see that that equipment cycle get back down to, to normal levels because when you buy a, a new piece of equipment, you're going to get better technology. You're going to get better performance in, in, with your farm operations. Uh, what we're seeing with LSW is it, it's a great tool for not only new equipment. So you get that new tractor, uh, you get the best performing wheels and tires that'll get the the maximum performance out of out of your 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 bag equipment, but also you can retrofit it onto existing equipment. And so we're really getting the benefit of new sales, but also the, to your point, the extension of that life cycle, it really fits well for an LSW retrofit. So you can take an older piece of equipment where you maybe don't have the ability to add in all the, all the stack of the precision technology that's available, but you can, you can put a new set of LSWs on there. And again, you can get better performance out of your equipment. So we're, we're seeing tremendous sales, not again, not just through the, the, the new channels as it gets introduced into the marketplace, uh, but also really through our aftermarket channels as, as, as you can take an existing piece of equipment and you can retrofit the LSWs on there. Are there macro reasons that uh, farmers are keeping? Um, well, I say farmers as if it's like some little guy down the road. I know that's not how farming is done anymore, but I'm old. Um, but but uh, are there macro reasons that are keeping um, that replenishment of new equipment that has typically been a part of American farming. And I mentioned American because 50% of your revenues are in America. It, a lot of it's just been supply chain. Uh, in the last few years, yeah. if, if you go pre-pandemic, the, 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 the life cycle numbers were, were starting to creep up. So they were above normal to your point. Um, but really, man, the supply chain has been tough uh, with, with what they're dealing with, with semiconductor, with labor related issues. Um, we've noticed our OEM customers and just really the time we've spent with their, their end users, they just have not been able to get product to them on a timely basis. So I think that will start to correct itself, but I will say, having been in the industry for a while now, uh, seeing a cycle not go through the massive peaks and valleys that, that we've experienced in the past is really a good thing. Um, ag construction have a tendency that when it's running hot, it's running, smoking hot and then when it cools off it goes ice cold and so to see this yeah. kind of moderate where you're seeing good steady growth uh, i really do believe it's going to be the best for the industry because when you're when you go through cycles that are just massively up and down i mean you're just from a, from a labor perspective how you manage your workforce is challenging in today's world uh, with labor being such an important asset i think both oems and the supply base that that services them are going to come out better off because to your point, that replacement cycle's got a long road ahead of it, but it's not being met all at once. 
So it sounds like you went from a period of didn't want it to a period of couldn't get it, but yeah. that leads to some stability for you to to sort of uh, unwind and uh, slowly unwind that uh, that demand. Although with commodity prices right now where they are, you'd think that uh, farmers are spending. They are, yeah. No, I think we're seeing from from our customers and we're seeing with, within the industry that yeah, farmers are spending. Uh, the, the 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 fleets aged. Uh, the inventory lots are, are fairly empty, both new and used. Uh, they they want to get new pieces, newer equipment, so they can get the best technology on there, uh, and they have the income to support it. Both, uh, you know, really both through the, the the support programs that existed for farmers during the during the pandemic, and now through commodity prices, like you said, and I, and then that's a global phenomenon. I'm not talking about just U.S. I mean, if you look at all around the world. North, South America, Europe, you got to protect your farmers. You got to protect your food supply. And so I think what we're seeing with commodity prices, it's the supply demand economics are strong, but also you're going to have a, a strong backstop from, from the support at the local level that says, look, if we, we need to take care of our, our, our food supply chain, and that's going to become critically important as you move yeah, forward. Absolutely. In the it also seems that you've rolled out a lot of, uh, in your tenure there as CEO, you've rolled out a lot of, um, uh, the latest and greatest, both um, um, industrial manufacturing um, uh, management techniques, lean manufacturing and so on, but also uh, deeply engaged in technology um, in the ways that, you know, here I am sitting in Silicon Valley and we talk all the time about about what's going on in the cloud and about, you know, semiconductor capabilities and and uh, artificial intelligence. And it seems like you're, you're uh, incorporating a lot of those advancements into the work of making agricultural tires. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, I, I think at the core of our company has been just the innovation. You know, we we came out of you know going back to our founding in, in 1983, we came out of really nothing, and so that it is part of our culture. It's that entrepreneurial spirit, that culture. Keep moving forward, keep striving, uh, better serve your customers, better take care of the the equipment the end users are using, and so that's led into what you're saying, not just product development that connects us to the end users. But also how we manage our operations and our plants and our operation and, and our the investments that we're making in technology, uh, we got to keep moving forward. We got to stay ahead of the competition, and um, you know I think Titan's done a really good job of that. Even when uh, times were tough uh, in, in our industry, when the pandemic was here, we've always been very heavily invested in engineers, both industrial product. Uh, we've never taken our foot off the pedal with, with continuing to move forward in those aspects. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a lot of fun. I think one of the things we do that's, that is, is unique for us is I think our products are cool. Um, obviously heavily biased, but since you said it, I'm going to go with it. Um, but also <laughs> we, we, we bring these young engineers into our plants and say, look, you have 2 million square feet to go play with. Um, we, you can you can get involved with redesigning processes, equipment. You can get involved in so many different aspects of the industrial landscape that it becomes a fun playground for them. So instead of sitting in an office, um, we we take the approach that we we want everybody just to get involved with the business. And again, I think I'm, I'm, it's been a lot of fun for the people that uh, you know we get in here being part of that. There's there's always that challenge. I mean, I'm sitting in here in, in Des Moines today at our our, our plant there. Again, we have a great company's based in Quincy in, in Illinois on the uh, Mississippi, Mississippi River. Yes. We are our, our, our tire. Our, we have tire operations uh, in, in Bryan, Ohio, Freeport, Illinois and Des Moines. So our North America tire business is, is headquartered in Des Moines. Our wheel operations headquartered in Quincy, Illinois. And then our, our corporate headquarters is actually up in uh, West Chicago area. And so, um, you know, as a company, we have uh, six plants here in the U.S., US but 
you know, here in Des Moines, we're competing with a lot of financial services and in, in, in industries that typically you'd say, boy, for an industrial company, your your location, your business, you know, what what's what's it like recruiting people? And again, we gotta we gotta do exactly what you you, you led into with your question is we gotta give them an opportunity to to see that they make a difference instead of sitting in a cube and, and staring at a monitor. We let them get involved with the business and doing something pretty cool and fun. What are the technologies that are uh, that you see in the horizon that are the, sort of the most um, important for you to integrate into your business? It, the most important, but also I think that the timing is going to be interesting to see how this all unfolds. But I think it's the combination of the Internet of Things and how you can collect data and use that in an operational platform with AI. And, you know, there's a big push for AI and and. I think our business is going to fall somewhere in the middle of that, meaning going back to what we were saying earlier, we make a lot of different products. We don't just set up our runs and you can just sit there and, and for three days bang out exactly the same product. We have to we have to go through a lot of different unique iterations that are involved with building a tire. And I think it's one thing to keep in mind, uh, a rubber is not just poured in a mold with a tire. There is a tremendous building process that goes into it. Um, and so you don't have something rigid like steel. You have something that's pliable like rubber, very unique skews and processes associated with it, with, with what you do. And so I see us having different implementation of technology. You know, steel's rigid. You can, you can put more movable arms. You can get more into the AI path a lot quicker, um, whereas tire, it's going to be uh, more focus on how do you collect data so that you're making sure you're very precise with all these little different, again, these, they're, there's all these plies that go in a tire that most people don't know even take place. And so it's more about hitting specifications and the targets required for each one, for each ply that you put on a tire so that you get the highest quality tire at the end. And so um, that's where I think the collection of the data, you know, we put in some technology where our calendars run and we're measuring that calendar is running at high speed, you know, pretty much all day long, but we're measuring every little movement to ensure that as the the steel calendar is running, it's, it's, it's doing, doing what it needs to do to the to the you know to the precise nature that uh, you know really hasn't necessarily always been in our industry and so those are the things we're trying to do it's 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 a lot of it's a lot of little things that add up to a lot um so i but it, it i don't know if our industry is going to be one where ai just comes in and you know again uh you can just run 300 different SKUs in a plant um you're gonna have to you're gonna have to work at it kind of piece by piece and so that's and again, that's what makes it fun. I know with our plant here, we we've set up what we call our Uber A area, where thirty five percent of our plant just runs through one particular area, where we can really put in a, a high degree of automation, um, which which we have and we will continue to do. But then the other sixty five percent of the plant, again, it's going to be you know we're going to rely on people. I mean, that's a big part of our business. I I don't want to talk about just technology and, and leave the people factor out of it for our business with the the products that we build. Uh, our people are always going to be our most important asset. It's, it's, I mean, you certainly can see in the results that that you're getting some, you're running things really well. I mean, gross margins up year after year after year, operating margins up year after year after year. Your your cash flow generation, free cash flow up again this year uh, meaningfully. Um, and it looks like you're really reaping the rewards of these things. Maybe before you get this, uh, this level of purchasing that you might see with the commodities where they are um, uh, uh, increasing for farmers, stabilizing for your raw material costs of, of, of oil, which I imagine is the, big, the biggest raw material mm -hmm. cost. Um, it seems like you're kind of set up for some good things. 
Well, it, it comes back to, again, the people and the culture where we, we've worked hard to take care of our customers. Um, that's really in our mindset. We've worked very hard to connect to the end users and, and understand their needs. So between our customers and our end, the end users of that equipment, meeting and exceeding their expectations, but really bringing that all the way through to the business where we're, we're consistently putting out new products. Our product development team is, is exceptional. Um, and that's that's really is again continues to to lead the way for us. And then you combine that with improvements we've made in our, our manufacturing operations, uh, what we do to continue to build quality, you know, better quality products at the at the best price we, we or the best cost point we possibly can. I think we've really built a culture that's just constantly trying to move forward. But it really does start with with just being connected to the customers and the end users. If you're if you can do that well, if you can figure out what they need before they they know then you can, uh, you can certainly go a long ways with that. And we've seen that with some of our product innovations and what we've been able to do. Well, such an interesting story. Paul Reitz is the CEO of Titan International, joining us from Des Moines. You might be, we've done about a 200 shows. You might be our first ever person in Des Moines when they talk to us. <laughs> Why not? Well, you know, I, 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 I like to tell- drill down. We're going to have the bite. Oh, tell us, Paul, go ahead. No, I'd, I'd like to tell you that Des Moines is a beautiful place to be today, but we're at 34 degrees. It's been constant rain. So if it drops another couple of degrees, that's going to turn into ice. So, uh, but that's. I, I've, I've spent some quality time in the winter in Des Moines and the surrounding areas. And so I feel your pain. <laughs> All right. Thanks for your time. We appreciate it. I appreciate it. Thank you. Coming up next on the drill down the bite. One number that tells us a whole lot more about Titan International right after this. The Drill Down is brought to you by Era. With Era, give yourself an information advantage, connect directly to earnings calls and other investor events with live transcription and event intelligence. That's Era, A-I-E-R-A dot com. And although there are many ways to listen to the Drill Down podcast, you can listen to it every single week without fail. Click the subscribe button and follow us. That way you'll be alerted to every new show just when it comes out. And let us know what companies you think we should be drilling down on. Talk to us on Twitter and Instagram by following at DrillDownPod and connect with us directly at our website, bizpod.net. All right, we're back with the Drill Down Bite, the one number that tells us a whole lot about Titan International. And uh, that number is six foot five inches. Is that how tall a Titan tire is on average? No, that's the biggest tire that they make. Okay. Um, the the Titan, the, the LSW 1430R46 is in fact six feet, five inches tall, just like me. <laughs> just like me, it could be deflated by the end of the week. But at six foot five, this thing is ginormously tall. That's or a I big guess you tire. say wide, it's round, obviously. It's also very uh, wide. These tires are about four and a half feet wide. So what do you put that on? A tractor or what? So you put it on a big tractor okay. and um, it, it's called LSW because it's a low sidewall is what they're called. And what's interesting about these, these I, I watched this YouTube video, I'll put it on our Twitter account of a farmer describing, even comparing it to his regular tractor and how he had a skid, he had a, a skid steer tractor that he used before and it would leave on wet soil, really it would slip a little bit and it would leave deep impressions in the places where the tractor, as you would imagine, a giant tractor would drive. But with these giant LSW super wide tires, the weight is distributed much more evenly and they actually leave less oh. of an impact on the soil. That's they can good. also go up to 40 miles an hour on the highway. Really? That's pretty Isn't fast for a tractor, right? It's been a yeah, long time since I was on a tractor. They rated up to 40 miles an hour. 
Uh, well, I'll, I'll put tons of pictures on our Twitter and Instagram uh, so you can check these out because they are really cool. And you can see how, as you heard in the interview, they just look cool. And the, and the, and the farmers are pretty stoked about getting these things. Yeah, I can imagine. And they cost about 18 grand a piece. Each tire? Yes. Wow. <laughs> I hope you don't get a flat. I was a Teamster the other day who was telling me that the, the rubber in U.S. tires is so much better than the Chinese tires, which are cheaper. And my, uh, my brother, that's my favorite Teamster, um, puts on, his, on a lot of his trucks, he'll put the Chinese tires in the back, but for steer, steering, he'll put the American tires in the front. Huh. Tire connoisseurs, who knew? Your brother knew. He always knows. All right, you've been listening to Drill Podcast. We're grateful for that and the time that you have given us. I'm Corey Johnson. Isaac Webster is our executive producer. Ben Wilson is our editor extraordinaire. Drill is a production of the Business Podcast Network.